Good morning. I'm Steve Robertson, uh, one of your missionaries and a pastor, and get to be with you this morning uh, to share God's Word. Uh, just a little note on me and uh, our family. Uh, uh, Lord willing, March 5th, we are flying to Medellin, Colombia uh, to make a change there and make that our home. And so uh, only a couple more Sundays with you. We're grateful for you and all that you've given to us. Uh, over the last several weeks, we've been receiving messages from the book of Revelation. And uh, the book of Revelation, the message is something like this. Jesus wins. So everyone who is in Jesus wins. And so if you're in Jesus, you have hope. And that hope leads us to worship. And this week we are taking a detour uh, and we're going to be looking at how Paul delivers the same message. John in Revelation is taking us to the end of the story and helping us look back and say this is what's going on. And what Paul does is he looks back and he sees what God has done in time and history and projects that forward and says because of this, because of this, we know that the victory is secure and that we can have hope. And that hope gives way to worship. So we're looking at Romans chapter 15 this morning. Romans 15. Uh, in your worship guides, the passage starts at verse 8. Uh, I made a change after I announced that. We're, I'm going to read one verse prior to that as well. Uh, but hang with me here. So Romans chapter 15, starting at verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And as Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all the knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is your truth. It is your truth that is sent to us, your people. 
And we pray that by the power of your spirit, we would receive that word and that you would use it to bear fruit in our lives and that you would conform us more to the image of your son in whose name we pray. Amen. When you tell people for the first time that you're a missionary, you get a lot of strange responses. Uh, my least favorite is congratulations. That's what someone says. Uh, that's what a lot of my former colleagues, work colleagues said. That's what a lot of folks I went to college with said when they first found out what we were doing. And, and what that means is I am so aghast that you decided to go throw your life into that. I don't know what to say, but socially I know I have to say something positive. So congratulations, you be you. I'm happy for you. Uh, other people say something like, oh, you must be a really good person. And, uh, well, I'm not. I'm a sinner. And I have a lot of weakness and a lot of problems. And, and, and yet that's people's response. Well, you, there must be something extra special about Steve or about Amy or about these others who go out in the mission field. And, and yet we don't go because we're good. Uh, or others will say, oh, well, there are good things for you to go do. So I'm glad someone's out there doing those good things. And, and, and the good things, uh, we do hope that we're doing good things. We seek to do good things. We, we try to submit our lives to Christ and to his plans. And, and, and yet, ultimately, the mission isn't about doing good things. Uh, the mission is actually about the good God. The good God who has designed things so that people go and tell the message of his son Jesus to others. Uh, or as Paul puts it down here in verse 18, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished. Jesus in his mission is doing his work. He is the good God sending his people into the world with his message. And that makes that little distinction, might seem little to some, is hugely important. Because the mission isn't about me. The mission's not about you. The mission's not even about what you do. The mission is about the one who made us, the one who entered into this world with us, the one who suffered and died and rose again and ascended on high and who is coming back. And that's what the mission is about, and that dives into some of these things that are happening in Rome. See, the Roman church was having something, uh, as best we can determine, of an existential crisis. Uh, we don't know exactly when the church started, uh, but it started relatively early on, after Jesus' ascension and after the day of Pentecost, when the word was preached and thousands came to saving faith. Sometime between that point and when Paul was highly engaged in his missionary activity, that church was started. Apart from direct work from the apostles, apparently believers from Jerusalem, potentially from that day of Pentecost, went to Rome. And, and there they are worshiping the Lord, and they are doing something extraordinary. Because even in Jerusalem, there was controversy. Peter went to Cornelius' house, a Gentile, uh, a non-Jew, he goes to his house and preaches the gospel, and people respond in faith, and, and he baptizes them. And the, the follow-up is almost an inquisition. How dare you do this with Gentiles? And yet the church in Rome has been doing this. The church in Rome has Jewish believers, and it has Gentile believers. And 
beautiful things are happening. But then there is some confusion that seems to come into the mix. Early on, most of the believers, most of those who had faith in Jesus were Jewish. And yet, that initial fruit stalled. And more and more, people were finding opposition amongst the Jews. And fruit was growing amongst the Gentiles. Or the Gentiles could also, uh, this word could also be translated among the peoples or among the nations. The word's growing among the nations. These people that aren't Jewish in their heritage, the word is taking fruit. And they're in the same church together. And the Jews come in and they are God's covenant people and they have this cultural heritage and they have their traditions and they have their religious practices. And the Gentiles are coming in and probably starting to outnumber the Jews. And there's this discord and there's this, what traditions do we keep following? And how do we understand one another's culture? And how do we make room for one another? And who's right on these different distinctions and these different practices? And uh, what do we do? This, this, this theological quandary, this thing that is beating us up, our people previously responded in faith to the message, and our Savior is from our people, and we are the covenant people of God, and yet now it's not working out the way we want it to. And we aren't seeing more of our brothers come to faith. What's going on? And in the midst of all these different entanglements, the Apostle Paul sends them a letter. He sends them a letter that from first to last is a missionary letter. This is the letter from the missionary Paul to a missional church with a missional message for the sake of the mission. And he starts off in chapter 1, verse 5. He's saying, my calling is to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. And then in chapter 16, one verse from the very end of the letter, he repeats that. He says, my calling is to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations, which is to say the gospel message goes forth saying, see your salvation in Jesus Christ. And those who respond in faith, those who submit obediently to that call are those who are entering into this obedience of faith. And the Apostle Paul is saying, this is what my letter is about, and now we're getting to me winding things up, and we've been hitting at these differences and distinctions going on amongst you between Jew and Gentile. And now we need to land it, and we need you to understand some things. So he's speaking into a context where we have these people disagreeing about how do we do church, about how do we do life, about how do we live in a fallen world, and how do we reach the people around us? And essentially what Paul seems to be saying is the distractions have distracted you. And let's look again at the mission. So what does he say? He says uh, in verse 8, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant to the circumcised, that's to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So he's saying that Jesus came and he was under the dominion of the law. He fulfilled the law. He became a servant to the circumcised. He died and he rose again. And he's doing all of that 
to show God's truthfulness. And then there are two pieces. The first is to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Uh, now, we probably don't go around talking about patriarchs that much. Uh, but the patriarchs he's referring to here are Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And going back into the scriptures, there is this pattern of God making these promises, these extraordinary promises. And in Genesis 12, he calls Abraham and he says, I'm going to give you a name and I'm going to give you offspring. I'm going to give you blessing. I'm going to give you land. And then in chapter 15, to reaffirm that, he says, your offspring will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. In Genesis 17, the promises are reinforced again and given a sign saying, this is the sign and seal of my promise to you. And then to his son Isaac, those promises are repeated in Genesis chapter 26. And then in Genesis 28, to Abraham's grandson, the promises are repeated. It says, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Then again in chapter 35, again to Jacob, he says, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. And Paul's saying, what Jesus did on the cross, what he did in this world, what he is doing now as he reigns on high in the celestial places, is in fulfillment to those promises. That God has been faithful to those promises, that in Jesus, God is showing the yes to every one of those promises, that he has been good and he has been faithful. And, and to the Jewish recipients of this letter, he's saying, God is still faithful. He's shown himself good. He's your Lord. He's your God. And, and you've been in the church. You've been in this tradition. You've grown up this way. And now you're looking at a world that's chaotic, a world that seems to be losing control, a world that you thought you had your mind wrapped around at one point in time, and suddenly all the rules are gone. God's still there, and he's faithful, and he's at work. And this is part of his mission. This is part of what he is doing to bring blessing to the ends of the earth. And then to the Gentiles, it says, first it was in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So there is this covenant faithfulness to the chosen people of God, but then there's covenant expansion. That God is saying that the covenant that started in seed form, it started with this one man, Abraham, and this tenuous promise that this is going to be to your offspring when Abraham didn't even have offspring. And that it followed this line from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Jacob's sons uh, to go down into Egypt into slavery, to be brought forth, to enter into the promised land, to go through all these trials and these tribulations, to go through turmoil, to have kings arise and kings fall, and to go into exile and come back from exile. Through all of this, God is saying now is the time for massive expansion. Now is the time for explosive growth. That what started here, isolated this territory, now is going to go global. This is Paul saying now it's time for the gospel to go viral. And for the gospel to go and make its deep impact 
in hearts and lives, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then, turning his head back over to the, to the Jewish believers, he's saying, this isn't actually new. We've been talking about this a long time. God's been telling us about this a long time. And, and Paul seems to very intentionally say, every part of the Hebrew Scriptures, every part of the Old Testament talks about this. The law talks about this. The prophets talk about this. The Psalms, the writings, they talk about this too. And, and he just goes down rapid fire. He says, hey, you know, in 2 Samuel, it says, therefore I will praise you among the nations and sing praises to your name. And in Deuteronomy, in the law, it's saying, rejoice with him, O nations. And then in Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. In Isaiah 11, in the great prophet, it says, the root of Jesse, of him shall the nations inquire. The root of Jesse being Jesus, the great King David's greater son. And he's saying, this has been actually in our scriptures all along. That even way back in Genesis 12, the promise to Abraham is that he would be a blessing and in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. And he's saying, look at this. This is what God is doing. God is going about being a blessing to all the ends of the earth comes up different ways at different times in Scripture. Some points it says that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the seas. In other points, it's every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. At other points, it's a great multitude that is without number. From every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people. Worshiping the Lord. And Paul is saying... This is the big thing. This is the big thing. It's not about who you are. It's not about who they are. It's about who God is and what he is doing. And he has set his sights on blessing his people and that his people aren't just a handful and his people aren't just a select group and his people aren't just from one family or from one place or from one tradition or from one culture. His people are from all over. When we first moved to Guadalajara, Mexico, 20-plus uh, years ago, we were ministering with a church planting team in an upper-middle-class neighborhood uh, on a lower-middle-class budget. It was, it, was, it was an interesting experience. And then uh, neighboring us was this ancient village uh, that the city had grown so much that it had just sort of swallowed it up. And yet it was still village in its mentality and village in its habits, and we were able to do ministry there as well. And when we were in our neighborhood, uh, we were sort of low on the totem pole, socioeconomically speaking. When we went to the other neighborhood, we were white, and we were American, and we lived in the big neighborhood where most of them were cooks or gardeners or maids. And there was this huge, huge social gap between us and people there. And uh, they were glad that we were there, but they would also kind of hold us at arm's length. Uh, but there was a kids' club going. 
and kids would come, and we would have some games and some songs and some snacks, and, and we would talk about Jesus. And through that, these kids would keep coming, and their moms would come. And through that, we saw several families come into Christ church. And, and yet, there was still this social gap for a long time. And then, as we were getting ready to leave, uh, to move back to the States, one of these women took my wife aside, and she said, I'm starting to get it. We have the same Savior, the same need. We have the same identity in Jesus. We have the same inheritance in him, and we're sisters. And this beauty for us of seeing how the truth of the gospel was bringing people from such different backgrounds together and being able to rejoice together and say, we can rejoice around the mission of God and what he's doing in us. We can rejoice about what he's doing and how he is making things fruitful. And this is what's going on. This is the big deal. That Jesus from the, the Lord, from the beginning, the first negative thing we find in scriptures is not good for man to be alone. That we're created for community, we're created for fellowship, we're created for family. And that the Lord, after we fell, and after we created all this distance and isolation, the gospel comes in to break all those barriers down. He can break those barriers down in our families. He can break those barriers down in our communities, break barriers down in our church. He can break these barriers down throughout the world. And to bring people together and say we're different and we have differences and we interpret some things differently perhaps, and yet, God in his mission brings us together. And God in his mission is showing us that there's something much larger that should take our attention. And Paul puts it this way. Uh, he says down in uh, verse 20 that he's made his ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, He's saying, there are people who don't know Jesus. There are people who have not seen his beauty. There are people who have not yet understood what's going on. And they need to hear that message. Those people might be in your home. They might be across the street. They might be in your place of work or in your school. They might be in Guadalajara, or in Medellin, Colombia, or in the Middle East. And yet God is sending that message out. And Paul seems to be telling the Romans in verse 7, he says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. He's saying, you've been so focused on your differences that you're not focused on mission. 
You've, you've let the weight of your distinctions, you've let the weight of your differences of opinion move your eyes off the target. The target is seeing the family of God grow. The target is seeing people understand this mercy that the Lord has shown us in Jesus Christ. The idea is to give them this hope. That's what verse 13 says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. He's saying there's something better. Take your eyes off of your, off of your distractions. He's not saying that they're irrelevant. There are good things to wrestle through. There are good distinctions to say, where are we on this? And how do we understand it? And how do we be faithful? And yet he's saying, remember the hope. And let that hope abound in you. And what does hope do? It breaks forth in worship. When we have that hope actually focused on Jesus, it breaks forth in worship. And, and that's what's wrapped up into all these verses that he was citing from the Old Testament about the Gentiles. Every one of them, one of them will praise you and sing to your name and rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. In him will the Gentiles hope. What is this message he's saying? He's saying, God is on his mission, and because of this you have hope, and because you have hope, the only choice you have is to worship. The only choice you have to say is, oh my goodness, Jesus has had mercy on me. Jesus has had mercy on this world. He could have left us to suffer in our sin, in our misery. He could have left us to the just deserts of all that we've done and all that we have failed to do. He could have done that to us, and yet God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. He came to be sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God. He came so that we in him can have life and life eternal. And when we have good news in our lives, The natural response is praise. We do it all the time. If our football team's doing well, we're out there praising. If we've done well at work, we're expecting someone to praise us. We find that great restaurant that we just love, we're telling everyone about it. And in Jesus Christ, we have the most beautiful thing ever. And so the result is to praise, to shout aloud that Jesus is good, that Jesus has had mercy even on someone like me, and therefore I serve him. And therefore, if part of his mission is for me to go be in it, I go and be in it. If part of his mission is for me to show love and patience with those around me, I do it. If part of his mission is that I am going to go and dare speak the name of Jesus in front of one of my friends or one of my colleagues or one of my neighbors, for his sake I'll do that. So that this mercy might abound all the more. Our Lord is giving us hope. Do we know that these news are good? 
is this really good news to you? Are you finding joy in who Jesus is as your Savior? Are you finding joy in what it means that his spirit indwells us? If you aren't, turn to him. Cry out to him. Ask him to fill you. And let us rejoice. Let us as a people rejoice. Let us as individuals rejoice. Let us as families rejoice. And let us as Christ's church rejoice. And let's pursue his mission. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you're good. That you have shown us your steadfast love in Jesus. That in him there is forgiveness of sins. Give us faith. Let us turn from the things that would distract us. And give us great hope and great joy. And let that hope and joy overflow in worship. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.